Welcome back to another episode of Talks Against the Grain. Look, where we have your host, Trutha, and myself, Jeffton. And today is a new year, and we want to, uh, today is a new day, uh, and we're in a new year, and we want to kick it off the right way and talking against the grain. So, Let's get how it. you doing, Trutha? Man, I'm doing well. Can't complain. God is good. Let's get it. 2021. Let's get right into it. First topic at hand is should blacks receive reparations and keep in mind everything we do is taken from a christian perspective so um should blacks receive reparations and we'll try to intertwine what bible says and just some of our own spiritual discernment on how we feel uh, in whether or not we think blacks should re receive reparations or not so i'll kick us off um I do personally believe that blacks should receive reparations. Um, I think there's, as you often hear me speak, I do believe that there are disparities um, between wealth and equalities. Um, and so I do believe that if we could figure out a creative way um, in leveling the playing fields, I think this could elevate a lot of the black community into feeling more, um, welcome and feeling more uh you know just you know equal and so i i pulled a few stats um some more common stats that i think a lot of us sort of know but just have never been able to put it into numbers um one one of the stats that i pulled is blacks receive 60 percent of the income as whites as our white brothers and sisters 60 percent of income so if you could think about that for a second, you got your white brothers and sisters out there, mainly white men who just are killing it when it comes to money. We receive 60% of that, of their income, you know, as an average, on average. Um, one can say, well, you know, you can say anything about these numbers, but you know, for me, that sounds like a huge disparity. Another stat I wanted to share was blacks receive 10% of the wealth of whites. So if you think about generational wealth, if you think about, you know, storing up an inheritance for your kids, kids or for your grandchildren, um, if you think about just that inheritance that comes with, you know, leaving something and, and, and you know, uh, strengthening the generation that's underneath you, you know, we only are able to we only have 10 percent of that um, as compared to our white brothers and sisters, mainly our white brothers. Um, and so, you know, however you want to interpret those stats, I'll leave that up to you. And then I'll share one last stat with you. And that's in 1860, blacks helped generate $3 billion from free labor on the physical bodies of African-American slaves. I thought that number was quite high. So I wanted to share that with you, $3 billion. Um, and so... I throw these stats out there because it can help the body of Christ in understanding why there is a huge push for blacks receiving reparations and why it is we honestly, well, why it is I honestly think that reparations couldn't hurt us. Well, and, and I know the arguments, um, um, I, you know, and I'll let Bradley um, share what he wants to share, but I, I do want to, you know, wrap it up in this. You know, the Bible talks about if you see your brother hungry, well, you know, just feed him. You know, if you if you see something that's not right, you just go ahead and you fix it. You know, and we get into these 
political um, ideologies and we get into these political biases at times to where it limits, you know, our particular outreach. And look, I get it. You know, we give and, and I mean, I give, you know, I do my outreach. You know, obviously it's a lot of it is on my timing. A lot of it is on, you know, and I'm going to just share this even as an ordained minister. You know, I tithe every month. I tithe every two weeks. You know, I, you know, me and my wife, we tithe all of our first fruits. So that's a given. But when it comes to giving, like, you know, giving, mm -hmm. we give and sometimes we give when it hurts, but we don't always give till it hurts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like after our first, after our 10th, you know, we're not always giving till it hurts. We're not always giving the shirt off my, my back. We're not always giving the shoes on my feet. And so I get that the body of Christ, if it's not directly impacting you, I get how you could, uh, you know, not do it. You know what I mean? So, um, and I understand, you know, it, it may not be hurting you. And so you don't have to necessarily let it impact you in such a way. You don't have to necessarily right, take right. heed to it in such a way to where, you know, it's like, well, whatever, it's not impacting me. So I think that if we were all, and I want to hear you all's comments um, in the comment section. I think that if we could all sit down, talk about it, discuss it, I've shared the stats, I've shared the, you know, the th my personal thoughts, I've shared some scripture, you know, just to give a little even more scripture. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, let's think about the man that was poor sitting at the, the gate called beautiful, right? He obviously had some ailments, but I just want to talk about him for a second. You know, they, they walked past the man, they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, Herbert Nazareth, rise up and walk. They were able to heal that man, right? But a lot of us Christians, professing Christians, don't even have that power of healing, and yet we still don't even want to give our money in actions of showing like, look, I may not have the gift of being able to heal you, but the least I could do is give to the cause. The least I could do is say, yeah, why wouldn't I want my black brothers and sisters to be blessed? You know, I've obviously had a head start and I'm, you know, obviously I'm generalizing and talking to, you know, white people here. But, you know, I, I do think that it is very um I, I think that it is a huge cause. I think that, um, especially for black Christians, I think it will go a long ways. I think it will break right. up a lot of generational curses that, you know, stem from our bloodline. And, and I believe that that's what I'm doing. You know, I believe that that's what my dad did. I believe that that's what uh, Truth's family is doing. But I think it wouldn't hurt. I think the money, I feel like, and one last thing before I hand it off to Truth. We allocate money in such ways to where it, trillions, billions, millions of dollars in such ways to where we help so many other causes, right? We, we assist and we aid in so many different causes. But when it comes to the, 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 the reparations of African-Americans, it's like it, we, we always turn a blind eye to it. And I'll, and I'll leave you with this. Black people are not the first people you know, we talk this, you know, we talk this talk of reparations, but blacks are not wouldn't be the first to receive reparations. Jews received reparations of some type. Polish people received reparations of some type. Um, Native Americans received reparations of some type. So blacks wouldn't be the first to receive reparations. And I just wanted to clarify that for any that were still struggling with what, what where, where is the money going to come from? It's going to come out of my tax dollars. Look, I get it. But 
money is always allocated in such a way and the government always seems to have a lot of it so i don't see why blacks receiving a reparation is such a bad thing truth what do you think man i have a lot of thoughts on this um <clears throat> so first i'm gonna start by playing devil's advocate not from my perspective but like just probably some of the thoughts or arguments that some people might have um so Let's see. The first thing that comes to mind is some people may argue against reparations because they believe um, it's unfair because people, a lot of people of current times had no bearings or had nothing to do with slavery and things like that. Like that's past the generation that currently is here. And so a lot of people don't have that same level of attachment to reparations or feel the need to have to do something or pay a price that wasn't under their you know watch and so there's a lot of that functioning but i think the way i would respond to that is it's a lot of ignorance in how these things carried on throughout history and it wasn't like you went from slavery to not having slavery and it just was that simple like there was no other forms of suppression still i mean a lot of because of how bad of a situation they left the slaves in even when they set them free a lot of slaves couldn't leave the plantations and the different places that they were at because they had nowhere to go some did but a lot didn't even have anywhere to go so they ended up still working under their you know masters so to speak and that was the only life that they knew. And so there was no path for them to make it. And they were supposed to, what did they say? 20 acres and a mule, I think, was supposed to be given. I think it was 40 acres or something. 40, yeah. And they didn't even get that. That wasn't even really a thing that was given to all. It wasn't even reparations, really, because they didn't get that either. And, and if they did get it, in a lot of cases, there was a lot of sabotaging where you had you know, land destroyed. You had different hate groups that were allowed to just come in and destroy stuff and so i guess the point that i'm getting at is the whole argument that well my generation you know has nothing to do we didn't enslave blacks so why should we have to pay the price for it they should have had to pay it then if there was going to be a price paid it's too late for that so i disagree with that because i think it just continue racism has continued and that racism has changed so you went from chattel slavery to jim crow to redlining to police uh what is it uh police brutality and even before then um you had the new jim crow through the whole jailing system and how they were disproportionately jailing black people for crimes that were really non-violent in nature but get getting ridiculous amounts of times and there was like you said the word disparity there was a disparity between blacks and white so when we look at it through the different framework of how racism has caused, you know, has deprived our communities and has created a lot of the circumstances in which we see. So we talk about like the crime, we talk about the drugs, we talk about, you know, just the immoral nature of a lot of black communities and black areas or areas we call the black community, but they're not black owned. So they're not really black communities, but the places where a lot of black people live. We see a lot of the crime and the violence and sexual immorality, all of these different things, mainly because of the sabotaging of them. They weren't really geared up ever for success. And whenever they did thrive, whenever there was a thriving area, um, 
Tulsa, Oklahoma, where you had Black Wall Street, it was sabotaged. So we have enough cases for why reparations should happen. But I think the issue for a lot of people is who's going to be the one to actually pull the trigger. This past election cycle was the first that I at least that I could recall or was aware of where we had a candidate. It was in a Democratic Party actually running their campaign. And one of their central topics was on giving reparations. Now, I think her name was Marianne Williamson. She wasn't a serious candidate. Nobody took her serious. She didn't even come close to even gaining much traction off of it. But that was the first time we actually had it. And there have been, uh, I think, symbolic gestures as far as like them putting legislation. It's the funniest thing. You, you see what blacks have went through and you know that they've been stripped from their land. They were, you know, people stealing man, men stealing men and women. And you know that they've been deprived. You know, the racism is functioning. There's an admission of the FBI and CIA doing all of this stuff to black communities and black leaders within those communities and things and all this sabotaging. And yet the best that they can do up to this point is put a bill out for consideration. Hear hear me out. Consideration of researching reparations. Consideration of researching reparations. So that means they may consider researching whether or not reparations would be a viable thing and if so what would it look like so they haven't even considered doing it yet they're putting legislation to consider researching if they should do it and how it would look if they did it so it's just very insulting i think and now the other side of it real quick that i want to touch on another devil's advocate thing would be well well that's socialism or that's that um cultural marxist type of talk like that's socialism giving a people something like we don't want to give people just the money and stuff like that it's, it wouldn't be fair it wouldn't be what actually helps them you can give them the money you brought up this i think too talk in this video and then um also in previous conversation we had where like if you give black people the money they'll just waste it away because there are deeper issues and that could be very well true that there are some deeper issues and I'm okay with it not being like, I want to direct if I'm going to get it. I want it to be a money aspect to it, but it doesn't just have to be money, but definitely it should be some a money side to it. And I don't want it all up front. You can give it to me over the course of how, however many years you can give me a monthly check, a yearly check, however you want to distribute it. I'll just, I just want my check for it. And so <laughs> so I guess for me, it's simple answer is yes. But like there's a lot of, I guess, hula hoops you have to jump through because people have made it a much more complex issue than it needs to. And then now and I guess the bigger thing is I just don't think given how much black Americans spend, you would think that they would be open to doing this because if we get this money, it's going to boost the economy. It's going we spend more money on especially on a lot of the goods and a lot of areas that are falling apart, especially during this pandemic and falling apart. We spend so much money on some of this junk. You would think that there would be a, a thought to give the money because we're in a lot of cases, we're probably just going to give it right back anyway. Some people will. I won't. You know, I'm going to use that and invest it into different things and find you know, opportunities to build community and to build a ministry. But mo- a lot of people are just going to give it back anyway. So it's not like it's going to, it's still going to be used to benefit the economy one way or another. And I feel like when blacks benefit, when blacks have input 
in the economy as far as whether they're having businesses or whether they're spending money on goods and different things. It, everybody wins. And so I just think that's an aspect that is neglected in it. But I have another thought, too, I want to throw out there, but I'm going to pass it to you and get your thoughts on some of those things I shared. Yeah, um, and that's another Yeah, and I get it. You know, you look at the numbers, black do blacks do spend innumerable amounts on <laughs> products from white owned businesses and we pour a lot of money but right back into it. But that's why I, I try to clarify with black Christians, because black Christians are, you know, more of good stewards who are going to take care, invest in ministries, invest in and, and, and to your point, you, you mentioned not just in money, you, you know, I wouldn't mind land, I wouldn't mind education, although I'm already educated, you know, I wouldn't mind my kids being educated, like, um, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, land or building something, you know, 40 acres in a mule, I mean, come on, like, I, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> I wouldn't mind just 40 acres right now in, in a little Didn't even get that. check or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. So um, for me, once again, I, 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 you know, it's not coming out. A lot of people like to look at the tax dollars. Guess what? It, you'd be surprised how money is allocated. You'd be surprised how our government puts money into so many different things. And you, you just don't even know the half. I don't even know the half of where all the money is being spent from our government. So, I mean, we were able to all just receive $600 in a stimulus check, right? And prior to that, we got, what was it, like 1200 or so? Um, something like that. So, I mean, you know, there's money that could be spent. There's money that we can be given. And so I don't see the big issue in it. Um, people bring up the, 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 the idea of it taking from the working class. Guess what? The working class, this this country is just look, it, that's it, it's not as bad as many think. Um, the working class, I, I mean, some some studies that I looked into maybe like five years ago said that the people the 1% of the people, I think the average salary for the 1% of people was over, what did that, what, what did Dave Ramsey say? I was just watching it. I think he said, ah, was it 30 or $60,000? I think it was like $60,000. And you would be considered the 1% if you made an average salary of over 60000 I mean, mm. that's a common thing. Like all the people I talk to, they they make over 60,000. They make, you know, you know, as far as like my circle of people, you know, family, people of that nature, I, I would I would say that the people the closest to me make over 60,000, especially family household income, well over 60,000. So I, I think when we get to talking those types of numbers and then we think about middle class and then we think about the poor in this country, as compared to others, it, it's it's not that big of a deal. Money is allocated in such ways to where we've got a lot of it. Our military receives the most money out of any country in this world. Um, so it's just a lot of money just being spent. And I just don't see the big deal. Um, it's not your money. It's the government's money. And as you can see, we can produce it and push it out just as we want, um, you know, in any way we want. And so I don't I, I think, you know, the smarter people out there that have actually built plans, if you if we could all take a look at it, if we could all just pray on it, if we could all just have a desire discerning spirit and knowing that look it's for the black brothers and sisters and 
I think we could do right by it. I think there will be people that won't do right by it. But, you know, as far as me and my family and, you know, things of that nature and people closest to me, all my minister buddies, I think we would do a good deal of changing generational mm -hmm. things in our life. And I think we're already on pursuit of that. I think, you know, my people were on pursuit of that. Our family, my, our, 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 our mothers and fathers were on pursuit of that, but it definitely would give a good push. Like I mentioned, in 1860, Blacks helped generate $3 billion from free labor on physical Billion. Um, labor, uh, physical bodies of African and Ameri African American um, people. So that's a lot of money. And for me, I just don't see the big deal. A lot of people say, well, the like to your point, Bradley, or Truthy, you talk about how, you know, it, well, it wasn't me that enslaved you. Well, guess what? That house that you received, that was from it. You know, that that inheritance that you received, that that, you know, a lot I, I heard of this thing called allowance recently, right? Growing up, I realized a lot of a lot of people, you know, uh, uh, that I, as I grew older, I, I I understood that some people got allowances growing up. Well, that allowance you received, guess where it came from? You know what I mean? So there are trickling effects. There are trickling effects. There is a disparity that while you may not see it, it you haven't, you know, it's all the stats I've given you. You know, those are things that are still common to today. Um, and it's it's not that big of a deal for me. I just don't see the big deal. And you'd be surprised mm -hmm. where my political ideologies are and what I think. But as far as reparations, I just don't see the big deal. Yeah. Um, some people would argue giving reparations would not be equal opportunity. It'd be trying to give people equal outcomes. So it's like, okay, because black people regardless of the reasons because some people differ in what they view the reasons as to why black people aren't doing well why there's so much crime so on and so forth uh now they just blame the democrats now now they just they gave up on just blaming black people now they just blame blame democrat democrat ran cities and democratic mayors and stuff that's the new blame but i think that was just because we were in an election cycle they'll get back to blaming black people but I think a lot of it is a view that like, oh, you know, I'm cool with black people having equal opportunities, not equal outcomes. Like I'm perfectly fine with black people having the opportunity to make money like all these others have done. And so we need to focus more on equal opportunity than just saying, oh, well, let's just start off every black family by giving them a hundred thousand every black, you know, black American, a hundred thousand dollars each to start off with as reparations i think a lot of people look at that as giving an equal outcome versus giving equal opportunity where they can have an opportunity to get the outcomes of it and so i think a lot of people focus more on the opportunity and they don't want to skip ahead to that and i think this is one of the unique situations where i would be for the equal outcome as far as the money is concerned because i do think it's the result of equal, not having equal opportunity for so long created such disparity in the systems that we have in this country as far as these capitalistic mixed systems that we have. It's very hard. It's, it's very hard to start from the bottom, but many people do it. Most million, most billionaires, millionaires and billionaires are first generation. They're not like it's not like what you would think, like even though I do agree with you when you talk about like the wealth that was built in this country, it still was built 
from first generation. So a lot of these people were immigrants and they're, they may be white, but they're immigrants still. So there were people that created an opportunity that was disproportionately given to white people. But these people did come into this country and took advantage of it versus them stealing it. So a lot of these people, so one would argue, should they be punished for coming to a situation that was better for them, even though it has some sketchy history? And I say, no, I don't think they should be punished. I think the government shouldn't put the burden on them and their taxes. Taxes shouldn't be increased for this to happen. I don't think anything of that nature should go down. Um, All I think is... Black people should get reparations, what that looks like, what the amount is. I just threw a random number out there that would work for me, at least. But it could be more than that. It could be less than that, depending on who you ask. I'm not you have to look at the different studies. There's a guy named Sandy Darity that really goes deep into uh, what he thinks reparations should look like. He's done. He said he spent several, several years on studying it. I would check him out if you really want a better idea of what the numbers look like. Um, And yeah, I think. I think it's not even an argument of whether or not black people deserve it. It's a matter of, okay, they deserve it, but will they get it? And how will they get it? And who will be the one to pull the trigger on it? And is this a trigger? It's not going to be that easy because of the way our uh, three branches of government is and getting both Democrats and Republicans to both agree on doing it. It's going to be a very divisive issue. It's going to be very hard to win. It's not something that can just be pushed as an executive order. That much money. I don't think at least. So it's going to be something that has to be in a federal budget or some type of legislation has to be put into place that is bipartisan. And that's going to be the biggest challenge more than anything if we look at it logistically. So that's where I'm at with it. Uh, I want it. I don't know if I'll get it in my lifetime. Do I think we could get it? Yes. I mean, once they're done considering whether or not they should research it to even say if it's worth doing or how it can look to do it. Once they do that, then I think I guess we might have a shot at it. Hmm. Yeah. And I'll leave you with this before we jump into our next topic. If my best friend is white and he's making 100000 and I'm only making 60000 and that just keeps going on from generation to generation, you know, there is no, you know, it's hard to, granted, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, my my beliefs are, you know, rooted and grounded in the things of the Lord. Um, we will find common interest, but when we aren't making the same, you know, after a while, it's going to be like, ah, I can't go to those restaurants with you, brother. You know what I mean? Like, I can't go to those shopping stores with you, brother. Eventually, it's going to, in other words, mm-hmm. to make a long story short, it's going to continue to make us separate it's going to continue to you know isolate one group from the other because commonalities just aren't there and inequalities are there and so um i'll leave you with that and so you know i i would just challenge us all to you know i I, and i want to see you all's comments that's that's the big thing i know a lot of people (laughs) disagree with me and are maybe surprised in my thought process but and in truth is thought process as well. And so I want to check you all out in the comments and see what you all think. So yes, sir. share what you share your ideas in there. Next topic. The infrastructure of the current church. Is it effective? Now, I came up with this question and truth is probably over there like, what are you talking about? But the way I, I, I phrased it is it, I, for me, it looks like the four walls of the church is effective in some capacity, but I believe that, 
you know, when we look at the infrastructure of the, 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 the churches in the New Testament, you think about how they were on pursuit of starting churches and just going out and, you know, just ministering the gospel. That was their whole mission was to go out and send this gospel out into this dying world. Well, mm-hmm. in the process, they built churches, right? That's that's what we're going to do is we're going to build churches. But it didn't stop there. Their main mission, their main objective was to go out and to not just birth churches, but ultimately spread Mm -hmm. the gospel of Jesus. And I think when I posed this question, I think what I was aiming at was, is the current state of just the four walls effective still in today's society? Do we think, especially during this pandemic, which a lot of us cannot even get to the four walls anymore, and I know in Texas it's quite quite a bit different, but you know, a lot of us, you know, especially myself in particular, with the way my current setup and infrastructure is set up through higher education, we don't have access to the buildings anymore. And so um, my ministry, we cannot go to the four walls. We cannot go into the building anymore. And so it must be virtual. And so I got to thinking about is the current setup of the body of Christ still the most effective way of ministering to people? Um, I know that churches have a lot of outreach programs. I just don't hear of too many pastors, preachers, elders going out and doing that footwork anymore. Um, I do believe that that is the most potent, that is the most effective, as we've seen through Jehovah's Witnesses, as we've seen through Mormons. Footwork is, and for me, still the most impactful way of outreach and the most impactful way of ministering and um, sharing the gospel um, for this body. Street evangelism, street apologetics, you know, people going out and just simply sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I found that that's most impactful, but I wanted to throw that question out here because I think, you know, the body of Christ and the building has done a lot of good. But I don't think it should just sit within the four walls. And I don't think and I just want to throw it out there, you know, and engage people's thoughts. Is the current infrastructure of the church still effective? Man, that's a good question. The simple answer for me is no, because we've changed the definition of what uh, the, who the church is. And we turned the who of what the you know, we turned the who into a what. We don't think about church as a people as much as we do as a place to go. And I think what 2020 showed was that, you know, what can be shaken, what, you know, will and ha- was shaken <laughs> for sure when it comes to our four wall church people. And also it showed that like if church was about the four walls of the building for you, then you may not have been where you thought you were with God because it was about the four walls. That was more of a pivotal aspect of being a Christian than actually the other things that God calls us to. So church attendance was your big thing more than it was actually serving and worshiping and doing things for God. And that's one of the things that was revealed to me during this time. I actually was having a conversation about this last night. I think I think we don't. Like, especially with like our generation and those younger, actually, it's really not our generation. I think our generation, we're at the very tail end. We're, some of our people, people in our generation are experiencing this too, but especially those that are after us, 
the four walls just aren't the only way that we can reach people. And what ends up happening with the four walls of the church is it really only helps people on Sunday and maybe a weekday Bible study. But it comes off. A lot of church comes off. And I, this is this is so powerful to me. And when I was talking with Camille about this, but we are only getting people right on one day out of the whole week and there's six other days maybe it's two days out of the week but there's five other days which we don't really care about a lot of times as ministers and pastors we do we say we do but our actions don't show it because a lot of what we do is geared towards sunday because sunday is just culturally what we've come to know being the most important day if you're a christian if you're a believer and i think that's where we failed a lot of men and women in this world today is we put so much of a premium on Sunday and people being right with God on Sunday, but not being right with God all throughout the week and really finding ways to help them to get right with God and be and have a make this a lifestyle for them that they can carry throughout their week. We haven't really shown them how to do it, like how to do it and bring it and carry it. And can we sustain them if they like if they're not coming like people that aren't coming to church, are we going to continue to stay in touch with them when they have nothing? It's not, I'm not saying that we, you know, sow into people differently that benefit us, but can we continue to reach out and communicate with people who don't come to church on a consistent basis? Are we going to really go out of our way to reach out to those people? Or are we going to take it personal that they stop? They haven't come to church in a month. And we just take it personal and say, well, they're lost cause because they're not coming to church consistently. But are we still going to find ways to connect them with the church because the church is a people? And so that's my biggest issue. I don't want to go too long winded on it. But like, I think the infrastructure of the church, the infrastructure kind of sucks in a lot of churches. Not all. Every denomination, every group does it differently and has a different approach. Some do it better than others. But I think the moment we put, if we continue to put the church in this box and we continue to consider it a what instead of a who i think we're i think we're in big trouble yeah i, I think you hit a, a bunch of good points here and you, you're right people are only getting fed two days out the week um and to one of your other points you also mentioned how um some of the leaders within the body of christ some of the leaders within ministry can even take it personal at times um i know i have when people don't come back to church because you're thinking to yourself like look we only get these two days you know three three days <laughs> if we you know we got events and things you know we, we strive to do these things and, and you know three days at most here within our ministry where you know we get to be with each other and it's like look you know, if you don't come no more, and I know that we're doing a great thing within this ministry, it's almost like I take it personal because I'm like, what, mm-hmm. you know, like, what happened? And so I, I think if I've gotten to that state and I'm a super, you know, laid back, look, you know, do what you need to do to be fed type of person. I don't, you know, I don't take things personal that often, but when I started feeling that way, I had to re-examine the, the current infrastructure of the church and say, hey, what's going on? Like the building is not this, you know, this is not a gang. This is not a cult. 
And so I had to get back to street evangelism. Look, um, you, people don't want to come to our virtual sessions as much anymore. And I, you know, is I get it. You know, is you got to prioritize super a lot. You got to prioritize a bunch. And so you know, scheduling these things out and doing these things. That, so guess what? We've simply brought the church back. We've gone back to the basics, and we've brought the church back to um, the people. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've been out on the streets, you know, even through COVID, you know, we've adhered to all the guidelines, but we've just we've you know, we've kept our distance, but we have brought the church to the streets and it's been amazing. It, it, it had to, it, it was humbling and it, and it brought me back to my senses and knowing that, you know, the four walls isn't the only place. You know, we've got things out here that we can do to edify the body of Christ. And it's not just within the four walls. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, a lot of the leaders in today's society have contained it to just the four walls. Um, and I get it. People work. We've got things that we need to do. And going to church every day may not be ideal for everyone, especially with people with kids and married, you know, go, got crazy schedules. I get it. But I think if we started looking at the church as more of a lifestyle, if we started looking at our relationship with God as more of a lifestyle and more of an everyday thing instead of a two days out the week kind of thing, um, I think that um, we wouldn't have to have conversations like this because um, the paradigm would have been shifted in such a way to where we're striving each and every day to send this gospel out to this world somehow, some way. And, um, and even what we're trying to do here is sending this gospel out somehow, some way, you know, through the virtual platforms. And so um, it's, it's one of these things where I wanted to throw this question out here, engage people's thoughts, because I know a lot of us have become complacent on simply going to church on Sundays. And once we've got that, and here's the thing, here's what it comes with. We go to church on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and then on Sundays, whatever your Bible. So two days out the week. And what happens is we get our spiritual fix and then we go back to doing what we feel is, you know, good for the flesh because we felt like we got our fix already. It's almost like people that fast a lot, you know, you, you know, not everyone, but like me, for example, you know, sometimes I'll get off of a fast and I'll just go eat any and everything. Or before I go into that fast, I eat any and everything so that I'm super filled up to the point where when I'm on that fast, it's <laughs> yeah, not as to the bad. Brim. You know what I mean? And the same thing, the same thing is happening with the church. We go get our fix two days out the week and then we run back to the world full throttle. It's like we sprint back to the world full throttle because we know that come Wednesday, we'll get our fix again. Come Sunday, we'll get our fix. And I don't think that's how God designed it. You know, his soldiers, his, his, his disciples, his apostles, they weren't out here getting their fixes two days out the week and then running and sprinting back to the world. So that's real. I think the current infrastructure of the church, it could be effective when, when in the hands of the right people who have a mindset to want to outreach each and every day. I think the Catholic Church even hinted towards, you know, like I, I like the idea of keeping the buildings open. Right. Like if you've got that particular setup to where you can have your buildings open for people to go into. And, you know, I even like the idea of coffee and coffee shops and like. And then on many libraries or whatever the case may be. like if you've got that current setup, like if you could have your, you know, your buildings open, you know, seven days out of the week, 24 seven, if possible. I love that idea. And I wish somehow, some way we could all get back to that type of, you know, worship and that type of churching.
no, nah, I hear you. I, I don't really have much more to add. I think uh, we got to go back to biblical understandings of church infrastructure. Not saying that we understand that we in America, we got it made. Like, we got it made. We're rich. We're wealthy. We're well off. A lot of us are the rich young rulers and don't even realize it just because we think we're making, you know, 60,000 annually. We don't feel like we're rich compared to the millionaires and billionaires, but we are some of us are the rich young rulers and we're not willing to sell everything. And what that that doesn't mean a lot of people misunderstand that. And this actually hit me recently. Sell everything that you have and give it away really was more so a mindset of being prepared to give, you know, having a heart to give to people and having a heart to serve even with the things that you have and and not allowing those things to become our idols. But I think a lot of times we've made things our idols. We've even made not the church, being the church our idol, but being in a building and worshiping God, kind of like our entertainment, but it's like godly entertainment because of the presence of God and the spirit and the music and all that stuff. We made that another form of our entertainment. And so we go for these experiences, but we don't go for like sustainable change and things like that. And I'm speaking from a place of personal experience where like, okay, am I going to actually retain this message that I got today? Like, am I going to actually live this out that God put in my heart? Am I actually going there to be changed? And I think we all need to come in with that mentality like, hey, I came here. I came for deliverance. Like, you know, I came to actually be changed. I came to be set free. I came to be reminded. All of that stuff. I mean, I think the church has the ability to, to do that as a people. But if we get I think if if this whole pandemic didn't show us anything, it definitely showed us that we're bigger than any building and we can we yeah. can be bigger than any building at all times. Yeah, good talk, brother. Yeah. Next topic, deliverance versus mental health. Um, I think this is one of our larger topics because it's um it, it's and it's controversial um because you you know you it, it's hard to you know separate well it's it's hard to dis discern between deliverance and just you know solid mental health because. You know, from one side, especially the super the super religious side, it says, you know, if we're praying for everything, then deliverance will come and you should have good mental health. You know, that's that's one side from a super religious radical side. And then you have the other side that says, look, I, I believe in God, too, but um, I believe in good mental health. I believe in going to seek out counsel. I believe in going to therapists. I believe in, you know, seeking the experts to, um, you know, assist in this matter. And I struggled with answering this question for many years, actually. And I think I, I, I just got it. I think I just got it because being a leader within the church, being a leader within the body of Christ, um, you have to answer these questions. You have to uh, assist in these endeavors. And guess what? We all are praying every time, you know, we go to church, we pray every, every day in our lives, we are praying, you know, or should be praying. And I just think that the church has missed the mark for many years. And even I have missed the mark in many years in being able to answer this question. But I think I finally got it. I think the answer is 
between deliverance versus good mental health, I, I think, you know, and discerning between the two and, and, and being able to answer the, the question of, you know, can God assist mm-hmm. in good mental health? Yes, he can. Um, does prayer work? Yes, it does. But I think where the body of Christ has missed the mark is um, we haven't educated ourselves properly enough um, in, you know, finding those outlets to point people to. For example, let me shoot you another for instance. If somebody is broke, you don't just tell that person you need to go pray so that God can pour you out a, a blessing from heaven that you didn't even think you had room enough to. Yeah, God's going to do that. But how do you change your current circumstance financially? You know, mm-hmm. you, if you don't have the resources to give to that person, I think you failed as a leader. And, and um, you know, to those super radical Christians, you know, that, that disagree with me, trust me, I'm in a leadership role. I do these things. I not only pray for people and with them and check up on them and hold them accountable, but I'm also pointing them in the right directions and to the experts that can really help them. And so in regards to the topic at hand of mental health, I think that deliverance should take place, but just like Jesus did, I think we should not only help deliver people, but we should also, you know, if, if we cannot help this person directly ourselves with their mental health, if we cannot be this person's, you know, counselor, therapist, whatever they need from us, I think we should be able to point them in the right direction um, to the experts that can help them. So. If you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're a minister, whatever the case may be, if you're in the church and somebody comes up to you and says, I'm struggling with my mental health, I'm depressed, whatever the case may be, I'm filled with anxiety, whatever the case may be. If you cannot help that person directly through your prayers, right? See, because Jesus could do these things, but some of us, we aren't able to do these things, right? If you cannot heal someone from their sickly mental health, Don't just tell that person you'll pray for them, but rather pray for that person and then point them in the right direction of where they can seek help. And that comes from educating yourself. Look, if you don't have a therapist on hand, I think you've missed the mark. If you don't have a counselor on hand, I think you failed as a leader. If you don't have the right words to help someone in their time of need, um, um, you know, I, I, I think you failed them if you haven't tried to exhaust all your options and pointing them into the right resources. And I think the church has failed a lot. I, I remember seeing one movie. I forget what the name of this movie was. It was some like, you know, black budget type of film, but it was on Netflix. And I remember watching mm-hmm. it and the woman, she was dealing with like some type of sickness and she she was in the church and they was this was during a service. It was filled with people. And this was during like service time. I think even the preacher was preaching <sighs> and the lady flat out like threw a tangent and she, you know, because the pastor had came to her and took her bottle of pills and threw it on the ground and said, you don't need these pills anymore. God has already delivered you. Right. And, you know, at the time, like I didn't have the answer. I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, this lady's got like schizophrenia. Like she, she may actually need this medicine. And you, you know, just threw her pills all over the ground and, you know, this, this, that and the other. Well, the next Sunday, what happened was she came back 
and threw like a huge tangent. She threw a huge fit and, you know, people was kicking her out the church and doing, you know, all types of ill craziness to her. And, you know, at the time I didn't have the right answer. I was, and it was at that moment I realized it was like, man, you know, Jesus does deliver people, but guess what else? He has anointed doctors. He has anointed therapists. He has anointed counselors to also help people and direct them into the right way um, to where they can seek their healing. And so when we talk about this idea of deliverance and good mental health, yes, Jesus delivers his saints, his people, and he will continue to do so. Um, but if you can't do it, and if you can't get in contact with God to do it, I think you need to refer the people to someone who can actually help them. What are your thoughts, Trutha? Mm. I think everything you said was dope. I think, I think it's not deliverance or, you know, therapy or all of those other things, counseling and all that. I think it's deliverance and therapy and all of those things as much as it's needed. Now, I don't know if it's a business ploy or anything, but at least most people I know that have went to therapy recommend and say everybody should go to therapy, period. Like, it would just be helpful if you go to therapy, period. And I think, especially after this pandemic, I think all of us, I think we should all be open to therapy just to kind of unpack some of the things you know that went through now some of us had better years than others so it may not be as needed but like this was such a unique time i think therapists need therapy during this time i think everybody to an extent could use therapy but this bigger concept so okay so making this relevant for all cases not just any individuals i would say number one always start by praying always start with jesus Point to him first. Read his word. Read your read the word. Read the word first. Try to find understanding on what's going on within you to the best of your ability in Christ. Receive counsel from your pastor. Receive all of these different things. Other believers, you know, get the prayer request. Do all of that. Don't neglect that. Some people have this thought that like everything should be taken to therapy or to their counselor or they need medicine immediately. And so, like, one of the things for me, like, and this is something that challenges me sometimes, like, when I get a headache, immediately, I'll go and get a ibuprofen or Tylenol, things like that. But I very well could have been, there have been other times where I had the wherewithal and foresight to just pray and I was good. And I felt better shortly after the prayer. And so it's easy to just go turn to these other methods before Jesus. But what I would say is, at Always start with God first. Always start with Jesus first. Then turn to those other things, not because Jesus didn't work, because sometimes Jesus might point you in the direction of what therapist to go to or what, whether or not you need to be medicated for a certain thing that you're dealing with. Because there are chemical imbalances and things that people have. There are certain things in which medicine might be the right and the right answer there may be a certain dosage that will really help you out there may be a certain solution that would aid you and so i think and jackie hill perry and her husband preston perry have a nice shirt that i've been wanting to buy which says jesus and therapy and that's my stance is it's not that one is you know obviously jesus is greater than the other 
But it's not that one has to be done and the other can't be done. It's that you should explore all the options, but the first option should always be God and seeing what God can do. Because sometimes just a moment in his presence can fix everything. Sometimes a hand laid on you can bring the healing, the freedom and deliverance in these areas. And we've heard testimonies of that. I know people who have who struggle with anxiety in very high levels who just from having hands laid on them for really devoting their time in prayer and really taking those needs and things to God have been able to find amazing results and have been able to manage these things a lot better. And some of these things aren't things that are just going to you get healed by. Some of these things are thorns in the flesh for some people. So it sounds crazy, I know, but like depression, clinical depression might be a thorn in the flesh for a believer where it's like, this is the one thing I struggle with is depression on a clinical level where I got to have therapy to get out of these situations. And with that one thing that you struggle with, that's what gets you so close to God. And sometimes those things that we struggle with or battle or have going on, whether it's a physical ailment, whether it be, you know, an injury or something like that, one thing that's preventing you from doing, you know, seeking God or doing the things of God the way that you will want, that you want God to get rid of. Sometimes those very things are the things that actually keep you in Christ. Like I think to myself, like, man, if I didn't have certain temptations that I had to battle, then I wouldn't. And I noticed that when I'm doing really well in the area of temptation or struggle, I don't pray nearly as hard. And so when those things come on, it's like it's easy for me to turn to prayer. But if I didn't have those, I may not be as willing to pray or seek God or to really you know, have the level of accountability that I've been able to build with others. So I guess my stance would be simple is don't neglect either, but definitely go to Jesus first, because even if it's not going to come directly from the hands, you know, from the power of the spirit immediately removing that from you. He's going to direct you in wisdom. He's going to direct your every step that you take in the path of recovery and a path of getting to a place where you feel good in your mental health and all in your holistic well-being. And so I think it all starts with Jesus. It doesn't it may not end with Jesus, but it will end with the direction that he leads you in. And I think that's been helping a lot of believers out realizing that I'm good, even though I'm not well in my mental health as I want to be. I'm not useless. This isn't something that I'm just crazy and everybody else is normal. It's not a matter of like that, but this is something that I, you know, God is allowed to fester in me to bring me closer to him. And also there are answers and things I can go to and resources that I can have. And there's always an economic side of it too. But uh, my one of the things that I want to do going forward is find different resources that people can use to find more affordable options for therapy and counseling. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, those are great points. Yeah. Therapy and Jesus. That's, that's what it's all about. And, um, you know, a lot of us church uh, church folks, we do get a lot of therapy from the right churches, which is great. Um, we do get a lot of good counsel from the right churches, um, but if you're not getting that from your churches, we do recommend um, some good life, real expert therapists um, that are out there. Um, I want to bring two scriptures and um, try to, you know, give it back to you for closing thoughts. But I remember when I first was really on fire and first gave my life to Christ, I, I came across the scripture that talked about, 
you know, this was Jesus talking to his disciples and um, he, he, probably, he pretty much brought up the idea of, you know, if they weren't healed, it was because of your lack of faith. And I, I remember running with a group of people who, you know, they, they, they quoted that scripture and that scripture alone um, because they felt like if they laid hands on you and you weren't healed of your sickness and you weren't delivered of your sickness, it was because of that person's lack of faith. Right. It was because they didn't have the faith enough to receive it from God. And for many years, I, I, I battled back and forth with that ideology because I'm like, uh, you know, like so glad uh. you brought this up. So guess what? The best. In, huh? I said, I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> yeah. And, and so as, as we know, truth, the, the best interpreter of scripture is other scripture. So if you're going to use one scripture, you got guess what? There's going to be many other scriptures that help you defend your point and defend, you know, the spirit of God. And so sure enough, you know, I ran into another scripture that said, who has sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus responded and said, no, 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 neither one of them has sinned. But so that God could be lifted up and glorified, I allowed this ailment to of, you know, afflict this person. And so a lot of times when we see people that are hurting from low mental health, guess what? Their parents didn't sin, they didn't sin. They just have a chemical imbalance like Trutha talked about that seems to be a little more severe than others. And they're plagued, I mean, they're, they're struggling with that sickness in their body. And they didn't sin, that nothing, they didn't do anything. They just happened to be in this predicament so that God could be lifted up somehow, some way through this instance, through this situation. And so, you know, a lot of us radical, a lot of those radical Christians out there who Jesus, this Jesus only, they're not, you're not truly walking in the things of the Lord. If you're out here preaching, spewing that, that hatred and stuff, that judgment like that, because there's no way, you know, Jesus didn't even do that. You know, he he healed the people and then he, he touched their spiritual man and then he healed the people. But he didn't just touch their spiritual man. He didn't just fix their spiritual man. He didn't just, you know, uh, deliver them spiritually and say, yeah, forget about your body because your body means nothing. You know, he still fixed their not only their spiritual man, but he still fixed their physical man. And so um, this idea which is a, extremely common in today's society of mental health and deliverance and which route do you go? I think it's a, it's a mixture of both, like we've talked about it. Truth, I'll let you wrap it up um, because I think I've, I've shared enough, but I, I, what, what are some more of your thoughts on this? So glad you brought that up. The reason being is, you know, there were disciples that laid hands on the sick and so for people that believe that the people that got hands laid on them, they didn't have faith. The disciples laid hands on people and they had people running to Jesus saying, like, I brought them to your disciples and they couldn't heal them. <laughs> and then Jesus, mm -hmm. Jesus spoke and said, you faithless and corrupt people. A lot of people think they was talking about the people that weren't healed. But he was referring because the disciples asked him privately, like, man, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And. He said, you don't have enough faith. He That's where he started to talk about that. And so the faith actually wasn't the people who didn't believe. It was on the, the disciples, the ones laying the hands. And so that goes both ways. If you want to use that argument, you can say, well, may, actually, maybe it's yep. your faith 
and you laying the hands. Maybe you didn't have enough faith. And then it talks about some things only come through prayer and fasting. So there is a level there's levels to healing and deliverance in ministry. And so, yeah, it's just a whack excuse that a lot of people try to throw out there. I do believe that healing needs to be more prevalent in the church, but God will allow, like you said, certain things to happen and to fester as far as health, as far as these different afflictions, because the trying of our faith work of patience, because uh, God gets more glory in the midst of our struggles, us doing things that are unthinkable than he would if he just allowed us to, you know, we wouldn't even know God if we didn't know struggles and trials and tribulations in a lot of cases. So, 